Lake Effect continues on 89.7 WUWM. I'm Audrey Nowakowski. It's time now for our monthly segment on entrepreneurship. Hi, I'm Kathleen Gallagher, a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist and the executive director of the Milwaukee Institute. And this is How Did You Do That? A show about successful entrepreneurs and how and why they succeeded. Well, I think I really enjoyed being more than just an auditor. When you're an auditor, you're kind of like a high-paid policeman for industry. And when you work with smaller companies, uh, even though you're still doing their audits, you really become part of their management team. John Spluday began his career in public accounting, auditing some of the biggest companies in the area. But he was drawn to working with the firm's smaller clients rather than the Fortune 50 customers that were its bread and butter. He also got more and more interested in the operations side of the companies he worked with. John moved in 1978 to Harnischfeger, the construction, industrial, and mining equipment maker, well positioned to work his way up on the finance side of the company. He became a key player in the financial reorganization of the business, got involved in many important operational decisions, and was eventually put in charge of Harnischfeger Engineers, a division that operated in the emerging area of automated handling systems. By 1993, John found an opportunity to spin his division out of Harnischfeger into a new business called HK Systems. It would become the only piece of Harnischfeger to survive its ultimate bankruptcy. HK Systems flourished as an engineering material handling software company, serving big customers like Amazon, the Federal Reserve, and Miller Brewing, until it was acquired in 2010 by Dematic Group for more than $300 million. John, welcome to How Did You Do That? <laughs> well, thank you. So excited to have you here. Um, you grew up an only child in Milwaukee, first in your family to attend college. You thought about studying engineering, you imagined becoming an Air Force pilot, but you found yourself drawn to a very different discipline, accounting. Uh, how'd that happen? Well, interestingly, um, I started to take at Marquette some accounting classes to actually uh, help my grade point with some of the engineering courses that I was having some difficulty with. And I really enjoyed it and uh, got great grades that helped my overall grade point. But it might come uh, naturally because my mother was a bookkeeper at Nunbush Shoe Company. Wow, that goes back a long way, huh? <laughs> yes, sure does. Um, well, you graduated from Marquette University. You landed at Price Waterhouse, which had some of the area's biggest companies as clients. But you gravitated toward working with the smaller companies. Why? Well, I think I really enjoyed being more than just an auditor. When you're an auditor, you're kind of like a high-paid policeman for industry. And when you work with smaller companies, uh, even though you're still doing their audits, you really become part of their management team. And they come to you with issues throughout the year uh, involving their operations, decisions they need to make, acquisitions, that type of thing. And I really got a lot of pleasure out of that, much more than I did just in the pure auditing work. So were you always the kid like orchestrating what the group was going to do? <laughs> Sometimes, yeah. I was kind of an organizer um, many years ago, obviously. Uh, and I've kind of kept that. I'm still the one that organizes trips and parties and uh, you know, from softball leagues to uh, uh, trips that we take with other people. I'm the one that sits down and I love planning. Of course, nowadays you don't do it as much, but I love getting the maps out and checking out the routes and those kind of things. 
Yep, I can see it. Um, so you left Pricewaterhouse and soon after that landed at Harnischfeger, whose audits you've, you'd always been assigned to. Um, you were taking them up on an offer they'd made when they learned you were leaving Pricewaterhouse. What was that offer they made? Well, uh, there was a fellow there by the name of Jim Gaudette, who was the uh, CFO, uh, and I had obviously gotten to know him well. Uh, when you spend time together, uh, traveling, obviously get to know somebody. And Jim always said to me, and he'd become kind of a mentor, that if I ever left Price Waterhouse, you know, he had an office next to his, and he said, I'm going to keep that open for you. And I did leave Price Waterhouse at first to buy one of my small clients with uh, a son of the founder. Uh, and Jim was very disappointed when I told him that, but he said, well, I'm keeping that office open for you. And uh, the opportunity that I had taken on didn't work out for a number of different reasons. And when I went back to Harnischfeger to kind of fess up that I, the thing that I had done, one of the issues I really wanted to get in my life uh, was an MBA. And not only was Jim kind enough to hire me in, but uh, to fund my education. So I went to University of Chicago to get my MBA and they paid for it and gave me the time off that I needed, which when I was at Price Waterhouse, that was not something that they would ever consider because uh, they didn't see MBAs being uh, any advantage to an auditor. So I got not only a great position there with Jim uh, as his potential successor, but I was able to really improve my uh, outside education beyond accounting. So once you got to Harnischfeger, you were really well positioned to have a successful career on the financial side. So story over, right? <laughs> yeah, except, uh, you know, Jim was grooming me to be his successor. He intended to move on to uh, other positions within Harnischfeger that had been kind of the history of the company, where people had used the CFO role to to go into other facilities. And, um, you know, I, I enjoyed working under Jim and he gave me a lot of opportunities. And I spent a lot of time with the whole senior team, not just the accounting side of the business or finance side. Um, and I began to, you know, try to expand my role in the financial role to be much more than just another uh, accounting guy. So I spent a lot of time in operations, traveled a lot, got involved in a number of strategic decisions that the company was making. Did that uh, rub people the wrong way that the financial guy was getting involved in operations? Uh, it wasn't the standard there. And I know Jim a couple times cautioned me, but I went on to ask a lot of questions and I did get a fair amount of pushback uh, from some of the more ingrained senior operating managers. So Harnischfeger got in trouble. They borrowed heavily to make acquisitions. High interest rates reduced cash flow. Um, Henry Harnischfeger resigned. The company brought in Bill Gossel from Beloit Company to fix it. You were still in your 30s, and you were one of the four people Bill chose to be his core team. What did you learn from that experience? Well, I learned a couple things. <laughs> Probably one of the things I learned that was I've always remembered in my the rest of my career is that bankers are only your friends when you don't need them. And when you do need them, they become uh, very difficult sometimes to deal with. But the opportunity that Bill opened up for myself was to take over the financial side of the company, including we had a really large captive credit company, which unfortunately the company had used to continue to have heavy sales, keep their factories busy, kind of a traditional story that's happened in a number of 
So the credit company was lending money to the dealers who were selling your equipment? Right. So they kept loading the dealers up with equipment and the dealers were uh, willing to take that equipment because there was no cost to the financing. Uh, uh, very generous terms were offered. Uh, but when we hit the wall uh, and became uh, defaulted on all the different debt agreements we had, one of the problems was that uh, the credit company had grown tremendously and had a lot of paper on its books. And one of the greatest opportunities I got was to not just involved with Harnischweger's restructuring, but to get these dealers to pay me, pay the credit company, I had to go out and refinance them. So I worked with a whole bunch of you know pretty cool entrepreneurs. Construction equipment dealers are a unique group of uh, people. And I worked with them and we took a lot of risks. And I think they liked me for that because they, they weren't really willing to do that on their own, but we got refinancing, we took losses, we had auctions of equipment, everything we could do to raise cash. Because uh, the one issue that we had with the banks was uh, we needed to show them that we could put some significant cash on the balance sheet. You were sometimes telling them to um, uh, fly in the face of the banks that were lending to them, right? Well, we sure were, yeah. And uh, we had a lot of uh, unique conversations. I got some of these dealer principals became long-term friends with me. And, and, you know, they were on the ropes too, just like Arnishvager was, Caterpillar, all these metal bending companies were having trouble. And uh, because I was such an integral part of their restructuring and saved their companies with them, we became long-lasting friends. That's awesome. Uh, you, you eventually got put in charge of Harnischweger Engineers, that, which was working in this uh, materials handling, automated mater handling systems. Then in came a new CEO, Jeff Grade. I remember him. I remember the gold cha chains he wore around his neck. Barons called him the grave digger. He was very flamboyant, but he knew how to work the financials, right? He did. Well, you know, the problem was when you when you get when you have a major default of a big company and you've got to somehow figure out how to uh, get all the banks and insurance companies paid off so you can have a fresh start without them being uh, running your business. And Bill, they like Bill Gossel, but Bill had a limited time. He wanted to do this. So Jeff had come in as the CFO when I was in charge of Harnish Fager Engineers. And Jeff's goal was to refinance the company with uh, a stock issue, junk bonds, whatever he needed to do. And he was you know, very good at that. He was very creative, um, managed to get the company in a position where it could pay off all its existing lenders. So he was the right guy to refinance the company. Unfortunately, when he went from CFO to CEO, his skill set was very limited. So he was he was making financial decisions at the expense of the operating company. You're you're in your mid forties by now. You're tussling with them, and you want out. How did you finally get Harnischweger Engineers out of Harnischweger? Well, it's always uh, luck. Sometimes comes into anybody's career or success. I needed to either leave the company or leave with Harnischweger Engineers as a separate business because there was no question in my mind that. Overall, Harnish Fager was going to have some serious issues under the decisions that Jeff was making and where he was spending money. 
Uh, so I began talking to some private equity players in Milwaukee and uh, developed a relationship with John Burns at MI Capital and some of the people at the State of Wisconsin Investment Board. And, and it, the luck came in that Jeff was anxious towards coming towards one of the year ends in 93 to sell something so he could uh, generate some profit for the business. I sat down with Jeff and we, he said, you know, if you can do this quickly, we'll make a deal. Uh, I want so much money for the business, but I'll help finance it, which was what we needed to, uh, to bring other people into the game from a financial side. And we closed the deal in 60 days, which is probably unheard of. Wow. Um, and there we were one night I <clears throat> went home from about five in the morning from the closing. And I was thinking, wow, now I got this whole thing for myself. And I owe a lot of money to a lot of people. Huh. That's that's uh, heavy lift. <laughs> um, yeah. You you saw right away though that or you knew that it wasn't the actual handling systems that software was the key to being successful in your business. How how did you act on that? Well, you know these systems are very complex. They're they're big systems. They're costly. Uh, they have high. The customers have high expectations of performance and uptime and uh, reduction of labor costs and things like that. And everybody in this industry, not just us, uh, but they were all having trouble getting these systems to work at the expectations of the customers. And when I looked at it, it wasn't the mechanical side, it was the software that put that was the glue to making these systems work. And originally Harnish Fager engineered had contracted that out so one of the key things that needed for our success was not directly under our control. So the moment we took over, I began to go out and hire our own software engineers, which we had very few prior to that. And we built our own team of software and control engineers, and we built some test labs and things that no one had done before. So before the software went to the field, we had tested it heavily. And that brought a lot more success to us of developing systems, but more importantly, having them work to the expectations and getting done on time. You also focused more on the aftermarket than your competitors did. Why did you do that? Well, my feeling was that, and there was a couple things going on here that we had set as our strategy as we uh, early 93, 94, was that there were other companies that we competed with that had put in a number of systems as we had. Many of these systems were not working up to customer expectations. So I felt that if we went back out and went to these customers, both our own and others, uh, and said, we can make your systems work, uh, we could improve our customer service reputation, but at the same time, they would come back to us and say, well, we need modifications, we want support, we don't have the capability uh, internally to maintain these systems, which we've been trying to do unsuccessfully. So what it gave us when you're in the big systems business, you have a lot of spikes up and down in your revenue. This gave us a kind of an annuity business. And we grew it from basically selling them parts and service to actually taking over. And in many cases, um, ultimately, we actually own the systems and maintain those for our customers. So it really leveled out our earnings and our revenues 
we bought a couple of our competitors, which gave us even a larger installed base to go after. Uh, and that strategy uh, played out extremely well for HK Systems. Um, we ended up being the most profitable integrator, uh, and we knew that, especially later on when we sold the company, how much more profitable we were than our competitors. What are some of the companies you did projects for? Well, you know, interestingly, we did projects at all kinds of different businesses, from the ice cream Wells Blue Bunny was one of our great customers. Uh, ice cream has a long shelf life if you freeze it 20 degrees below, and it's seasonality. So storage of, of ice cream for the summer season is very important. But we did work for all the breweries. We did a lot of work for Ford Motor Company, 17 assembly plants, New York Times, all the major newspapers. As you might know, Kathleen, there's a big issue with you got to have all this newsprint on one end, and at the other end, you got uh, the newspapers themselves. There's a lot of storage issues. You never want to run out of newsprint. We did every major newspaper, including the Journal uh, in Milwaukee here, but we did a unique business, Federal Reserve vaults. When you're storing uh, $20 billion at every Federal Reserve in cash, and coins, you've got a lot of security issues. So we used automation and ASRS and those kind of things to give them the kind of security that they were look, looking for to reduce the involvement of, of employees. Uh, so I had been through a number of the Federal Reserves over the years, and uh, it's kind of interesting to walk into a big vault and be told there's uh, you know, a trillion dollars sitting inside that vault. Well, it was great having you with us. The time went too fast. Uh, thank you so much for telling your story and congratulations on all your success. Well, thank you. I enjoyed doing this. And uh, again, if I can be uh, of any help in the future, let me know. You can read more about this story and find links to resources by visiting wuwm.com. You can also explore episodes of How Did You Do That at wuwm.com at the iTunes store or wherever you get your podcasts.